misunderstood and often ignored. That's how Dr. J. Vernon McGee describes the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus for another great adventure in God's Word. We're beginning in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 5, and to get us started, here's Dr. McGee to give us a bit more insight into today's study. Our study today brings us to Ecclesiastes, the first chapter at verse 5. The Bible is one of the most exciting and dynamic books that's in the world today. One of the proofs of the inspiration of the Scripture, one of the many proofs, is when it is read, it forces opinions, it forces decisions. The Lord Jesus put it even like this, if you're not for me, you're against me. You can't take a neutral position when you're reading and studying the Word of God. The words of the Scripture are very much like some critic in the past said of Shelley, the words that he wrote. And he said, if you cut them, they'll bleed. That's the way the words of the Scripture are. And because it is that kind of a book, there are some people who avoid portions of Scripture. You will note that don't many consider Ecclesiastes has some strange statements. Now, this book we've come to, Ecclesiastes, is God's answer to humanism, the besetting philosophy of the present hour and of the moment, the thing that has captured the thinking of men and women in all walks of life. In fact, it is that which forms the lifestyle of Americans today. Well, humanism simply exalts and deifies man. It rejects God altogether and says that man is the sum of all things. He is the final product of evolution, and he is the one today that is the master of his fate, and he's the captain of his soul. All the way from Aristotle to Walt Whitman, that has been the thing that has been taught in opposition to the Bible, to its morality, and to its philosophy, and to its message. Godless humanism is the basis today of the thought patterns of man in all walks of life in our modern day. You take our schools today, especially the schools of higher education, but this actually goes right on down into the kindergarten, for that matter. And in other words, they want to get rid of creation. There is a very definite, deliberate attempt to get rid of creation. Creation would tear down their house of cards today. They make history to conform to their own patterns, and they're doing nothing in the world but cutting out paper dolls, that which is the figment of man's imagination, and that there's no such thing today, of course, as sin. There is no such thing today, actually, as morality. They would argue that morals are relative. If you think it's wrong, well, you're the master of your soul, then it's wrong. If you don't think it's wrong, 
Well, then it's not wrong because you're the master of your soul. That has gotten into the thinking of men and women today in all walks of life. In fact, I'm not sure, but some of it rubs off on some Christians today. And you find it in politics. Our government today has saturated it, and that's the reason they want to rule God out. They take the First Amendment, twist it and distort it, and say that there should be separation of church and state. And that First Commandment does not teach the separation of church and state at all. It just says the state is not to start a religion or control a religion. And therefore, they have no right today to interfere with a man who wants the teaching of creation to his children. You interfere with that man's personal liberty when you do that. You've interfered with him and his home, but they don't approach it like that. We are in this humanistic society. And even humanism today has gotten into the church. Liberalism is a religious form of humanism. It takes the emphasis off of God, puts it on man. They, for instance, will take the Sermon on the Mount. They use that. And they will tell you that it is anthropocentric. That means it's man-centered. And then there are those that like to say that it is even Christocentric, Christ-centered. I would say that the Sermon on the Mount is theocentric. It is God-centered. Even when man is enjoined in that to do his good works. Why? To glorify his Father which is in heaven. He's the ultimate. He's the one to set the moral standards today. Now, all of these systems lead to a dream world of moonbeams. They finally crash on the hard rock of reality and time. And they're, of course, moving us in that direction today. Now, that's the reason that this book of Ecclesiastes is, is so interesting. It approaches life from man's viewpoint. And that's the reason that we are calling your attention to it here at the beginning in order that you might see how utterly futile, how utterly worthless it is to follow a godless philosophy that always has led and will lead man to destruction. This is something we need to keep before us as we're going through this book and also as we're going through life today. That's a great introduction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you increase our faith as we believe your word and what it says about how to live lives that glorify you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now here's our continuing study of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now today, friends, we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, and we are putting in here at verse 5. I trust that you have your Bible here. Now, we got through this verse, but verse 5 is tied on to this next verse here, verse 6, and we'd like to consider them together. In fact, verse 7 also. He says here, "...the sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, 
and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about to the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Under the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. Now, here is without doubt one of the most remarkable statements in the Scripture. And here is a revelation that Solomon made a study of science or of the laws of nature, as probably that would be the better term, and he knew a great deal about these things. And it's quite interesting that these are some of the things that are basic today as far as science is concerned. I'd like to read to you a statement made by Dr. A.T. Pearson, and I'm reading now from him. There is a danger in pressing the words in the Bible into a positive announcement of scientific fact. So marvelous are some of these correspondences. But it is certainly a curious fact that Solomon should use language entirely consistent with discoveries as evaporation and storm currents. Some have boldly said that Redfield's theory of storms is here explicitly stated. Without taking such ground, we ask, who taught Solomon to use terms that readily accommodate facts? Who taught him that the movement of the winds, which seem to be so lawless and uncertain, are ruled by laws as positive as those which rule the growth of the plant, and that by evaporation the waters that fall on the earth are continually rising again, so that the scene never overflows? And then he goes on to speak about Ecclesiastes 12.6. He says is a poetic description of death. The silver cord describes the spinal marrow, the golden bowl, the basin, which holds the brain, the pitcher, the lungs, and the wheel, the heart. Without claiming that Solomon was inspired to foretell the circulation of the blood 26 centuries before Harvey announced it, is it not remarkable that the language he uses exactly suits the facts? A wheel pumping up through one pipe to discharge through another. Now, that is remarkable. Now you have here three very interesting statements in these verses that we have here before us. He says, The sun rises, goeth down. There is a monotony in nature also. But also there is that which you can depend on. You can depend on the sun coming up. You can depend on it going down. Now, that's the terminology we use, and it has accommodated all ages. Yet I'm sure most of us know today that what actually is the coming up of the sun and the going down of it really is the rotation of the earth. But may I say, as far as we are concerned, we're standing on a pretty solid piece of ground, and it looks to us like the sun's come up 
and the sun goes down. Nothing wrong with that. The statement is something that is absolutely amazing, that this is something that is done in a precise, regular way, that it is obeying certain laws. How did Solomon know about that? He didn't have the gadgets that we have or the background to base his predictions on. Now, he also noted something else that the rivers run into the sea, but the sea's not full. In other words, he's tacitly speaking of the law of evaporation, of the elevation of the moisture into the air. Then the wind comes along and blows that over, and there are lakes up above us, rivers up above us, and the Lord moves them out from the sea to the land, and then he lets it pour out. And all of that's following... a certain definite, specific law. There's nothing really haphazard that's happening, although we may think so. The very interesting thing is, here you have three, and of course, we saw one in verse 4. We really have four remarkable statements here concerning the laws of nature that today make sense. They fit right into what men know today. Now, you get writings that come from a thousand years before Christ came into the world, and you see what they have to say. You'll find out that there's a great deal of superstition, a great deal that is false, a great deal that won't bear inspection at all. But this is another one of the remarkable things about the Word of God. Now, in verse 8, he makes another very remarkable statement here. Will you notice it? He says, all things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. And if men didn't believe that is true, they certainly ought to in this day of TV. Some people can look at it hours during the day and still keep looking at it. Why? Because the eye is never satisfied with seeing. ears never filled with hearing. And I'm sure all of us uh, love to go to new places, see new scenes. That is one of the things that I have enjoyed about this life. And one of the things I enjoy about this wonderful country that I live in. Why, any area you go in. Now, many of us like to kid somebody that comes from a certain state. And I get kidded because I come from the state of Texas. Of course, it's all jealousy on the part of a lot of folk, but they kid me about coming from Texas. But I want to say this to you very candidly. I haven't been in a state yet, and I've been in most of them, that I didn't like. They're all wonderful. And you and I live in a wonderful country and on a wonderful universe. I is not satisfied with seeing the air with here. We just keep looking all the time. Man cannot exhaust the exploration of the universe. The more he learns, the more he sees that he should learn. The more he learns reveals there's still more to learn. And this is frustrating. The physical universe is too big for little man. And he alone of God's creatures, as far as we know, is able to comprehend it. I'm of the opinion that the dog I used to have that take walking, we hear of a dog bay in the moon, I don't think that he knew the distance up there, and I don't think he cared. And I don't think that he recognized that 
He was living in a vast universe. The dog's world, I think, is a pretty small world. It's not any bigger than a bone most of the time. Now, will you notice, he moves on here. He says, "...the thing that hath been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there's no new thing under the sun." Now, actually, there really is not. great many people think because we come up with some new manufactured gadget like TV, actually the telephone. I can remember when the telephone was quite a novelty. In fact, we were on a line in West Texas in the country that when you answered the phone, you heard about a dozen telephones being lifted from the receiver. Because I tell you, that was the way to get the word out if you wanted to make an announcement. Just have the telephone ring and you could make it because it would go all up and down the highway in that day, which wasn't, of course, much of a highway. Now, the thing that is quite remarkable here is nothing new under the sun. Now, I want to say that actually there's nothing new. You say, well, how about the airplane, all of that? Well, let me say to you that there's really nothing new under the sun. Now, let me illustrate that to you. My grandfather, he quoted my grandmother on an old horsehair sofa in a very staid living room down in Mississippi. And I'm telling you, it was really a back number. But he proposed to her there, and she accepted, and they got married. And my dad, he courted my mother. He'd met her on a train, a day coach, years ago. And he had a horse and buggy, and he took her in a horse and buggy to be married in Tyler, Texas. And that's the way that came about. And then I proposed to my wife down in Texas, and we were in a car. And I got a little grandson. I wondered how he's going to propose. Probably in a jet plane, but by the time he gets old enough, there'll be something new. He may propose in a space capsule. And somebody says, isn't that new? No, may I say to you, the same feeling my granddad had when she said yes is the same feeling I had. And I don't think that grandson of mine's going to have any different feeling than I've had. Really, there's nothing new under the sun. We may have a little different environment, a new gadget around, but there really is nothing new under the sun. Man is the same, and he gets a little different setting. The stage is generally set a little differently in each age, but same thing, by the way. Now, will you notice, he moves on here and he says, Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time which was before us. Well, the statement that there's no new thing under the sun, it does seem to be untrue in this age of gadgetry, but it's true. You know, the atom bomb, they say, is new. But actually, the atom's been around a long time. The atom's older than man, although man did not know it existed for a long time. It was here. And all man has accomplished is to make the little atom a very difficult neighbor. The nosy human should have let sleeping dogs lie, by the way. But we probe around, and we don't find anything new. It's been here all the time. There's nothing new under the sun. 
Now, somebody says, what about the computer? Well, God has given us a computer brain. That's all we got, an electronic nervous system. And it can bring to man no deep and abiding satisfaction. Man has learned that these things around him today are not really new. They don't give him anything new. I forgot to say there is one thing new. That's the new birth. And may I say to you that that is something that comes when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that, my friends, about the only thing new that's going to be coming your way is the new birth. That's all. Now, Solomon tried all of these things, and he had to conclude this part by saying, "...there is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance." of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Man tries every way in the world to keep himself before the public, but it doesn't take him long till he passes off the stage. You remember who the popular movie stars were 50 years ago? Do you remember who was the popular athlete 50 years ago? By the way, could you name the president of the United States 50 years ago? No, there's no remembrance of former things. Art as long as time is fleeting. And we spend our time down here, as the Scripture says, as a tale that is told. And we can't go back over it again. And that is the conclusion that Solomon came to here in this first experiment that he made. Now we find here he's going to seek satisfaction in wisdom and philosophy in verses 12 through 18. We'll get the pleasure in the second chapter. Now here's the experiment. He says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven." This sower travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Now, what he says here is, he said, you know, I've spent a lot of time studying philosophy of the world. And isn't it interesting? Solomon lived, oh, nearly a thousand years before Christ. We live 2,000 years this side, 3,000 years has elapsed, and man has come up with a great deal of gadgetry. But do you know that actually he doesn't know any more about philosophy and wisdom than he knew 3,000 years ago? There's been no improvement made in the matter of wisdom and philosophy. These things, they do not satisfy, cannot satisfy at all. He says in verse 14, I've seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He says, you spend your time in making this experiment. You spend your time in studying this subject, and it's nothing in the world but just actually a waste of time. And as you know, we're living in a day when they are trying to say that all the past methods of education were just a waste of time. I wonder how good the present method is. I think just a waste of time, by the way. Man, but wisdom and philosophy, he can never know God. (laughs) He never can really find out the important thing. 
only by revelation does he get those. But Solomon tried it. We'll see that next time. May God richly bless you, my beloved. We're just getting started in our study of Ecclesiastes. Encourage a family member or friend to join us for the journey. You can download our app or listen online at ttb.org. Dr. McGee's entire five-year study of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation is also available on our Bible Bus flash drive. Call 1-800-65-BIBLE to find out more. It's just one of the many great resources that we make available solely for your spiritual encouragement. And to help you share God's Word with others, Check them all out. Visit ttb.org. Again, you can reach us anytime at ttb.org or by calling 1-800-65-BIBLE. And if you'd like to be in touch by mail, you'll find us at Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Well, the Bible bus rolls through Ecclesiastes 2 next time. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll save you a seat. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?